Welcome to the Q-Tourism Trek on screen. Uh, this is uh, Debate 9, The War of the Words, with your hosts, uh, me, Davin, and Dave, Hi. Plain Simple Tailors, a.k.a. the Locutors of Trek. And with us is an amazing contestant and guest, my cousin, cousin of the show, Dave Mater from Live Long and Podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, the cousin Dave, not to be confused with the locutor of Dave. Um, exactly. We'll and, try to keep uh, that just, as not confusing as possible. Just like Archer, everything's up for debate. Where I come from, everything's open for debate. <laughs> <laughs> like, whether it, like whether he's good in Enterprise. No, I think he is. I think he is. Um, we know he can't not, sit in that not chair. Not all of your ilk would agree with that. No. Um, over there, live long in podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but this is the game show where we have, well, basically where we ask the hard questions, such as "Where's my giggle snap?" <laughs> so, uh, perhaps you guys would like to debate that. Where is his beetle snuff? I'll well, I'll argue for the kitchen. Okay, uh, it seems more speculative than debate uh, worthy, but uh, yeah. All right, well, we'll skip that debate, but I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is where we have nine Star Trek-themed debates, unless there is a tie. We have every uh, the benevolent yet feared Mr. Scott waiting on hand if we have a three-way tie. Um, we have 30-second yeah. arguments, followed by a 30-second... Oh, you have, you have him in, like, the queue, ready to come in, if he has to come in? I'll just call him. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, no, he's not in the queue. He would totally never agree to that. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah. 30-second arguments followed by 30-second debates. No prior knowledge. Really, we all just heard them for the first time like a minute ago. So we have no time to prepare. And I've forgotten everything you told me. Me too. Except uh, for yeah, the other that one that I had to find out who that guy was. So. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll do that. So we'll kick this off here now with the first debate. Why not? And this will be between the two Daves, the Daves I know. Okay. All right. Oh. Be it resolved chief o'brien should have tried to save the life of his friend bilby cousin dave you will be arguing for this all right dave locutor you shall argue against cousin dave your 30 seconds begins now well, Bilby was a, uh, a member of the Orion Syndicate and uh, had done some shady dealings in the past. And O'Brien had been assigned to infiltrate his uh, cell or his criminal organization and find out. But um, despite like them having this personal connection, the fact that you know Bilby's a fellow human being is kind of the paramount reason why he should try to save his life and try to get him out of those things. You know, uh, he's made mistakes for sure, uh, but he's uh, he's not beyond redemption by any means. And he's definitely, um, uh, I think, Starfleet and the Federation should try to provide amnesty to people like him who might be looking for to turn a fresh leaf. All right. 
That's the end of your time. All right. So, Dave, your counter-argument now. Well, uh, I think the principle at issue in what's going on with O'Brien there is this question of what to do regarding sort of operational security. And given that his operation is about, in some sense, kind of national security of the Federation, he comes into a more morally ambiguous territory. And in this sense, I'd argue that his actions are right, given that Bilby has to play. All right, let me just add a little more context for you guys, because I think maybe I know this episode better than you guys. So the, the main issue at hand is that Bilby says he can't let Miles help him out at all because the Orion Syndicate will go after Bilby's family because they know who his family is and where they live. So that being the main crux of the issue in the episode, um, 30 second open debate begins now. Well, come on. We've been uh, doing witness protection uh, things like this on Earth for at least over a century now with criminal organizations. Surely the Federation, who it has uh, access to all kinds of technologies, including uh, surgical manipulation, uh, different time travel, different dimensions they can stuff you in. There's, there's certainly ways to protect the family of uh, Bilby uh, in this situation and, and uh, not necessarily good enough reason to let him die. Um, There's open debate, Dave. I'll let you get a quick one in there. The, I think the problem is that if they make any move to save him, if Miles were to make any move to get this guy saved or get his family uh, out of danger after saving him, uh, the entirety of the work they've put in on the operation to date would be lost. All of that intelligence would be gone, and that's part of the trouble, right? They'd have to start it all over again. Uh, and right. yeah, we're gonna call it there. All right, fine debate, fellas. I think I maybe caught you off a little off guard with that one, but I think the strongest. I mean, the most convincing thing I heard actually was when Cousin Dave just like, surely we can do witness protection by now. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if I just that, that one made me laugh or what, but I'm giving it to Cousin Dave on this one. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. I'm going to keep track of the points right on our thing here. Tr Cousin Dave's got one. Oh my gosh. All right. So you're up next. Uh, my co-cutor. Okay. And this would be yours for us. Which question? All right. Be it resolved. Captain Morgan Bateson's reappearance in Lower Decks argued for an exploration of what happened in the years between their arrival in the 24th century to the Cerritos' presence. So, uh, Davin, I will have you arguing for on this one, and Dave, I'll have you arguing against. That there right. isn't sufficient... In Lower Decks argued for an exploration of basically they start to have given us more of Captain Morgan Bateson's story after he got back. Where they the certainly who was the guy played by Kelsey? Oh, Bates. I know, I know who he is. Yeah, like yeah. just like what's been going on in those ten years since we last saw him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it mm -hmm. just just opens a lovely question. I would love to know what happens. All right. I'm going in. I'm diving in. Well, 
Of course they should. One, he's played by Kelsey Grammer, or voiced by Kelsey Grammer, which either way is delightful. You know, um, great voice actor as well. I mean, the great voice. Um, but also, they have hinted at it before. I have a comic book where they, um, it's only a few pages, but it's him basically in the uh, therapist's office just trying to re-acclimatize to the new time that he's in. And it's a fascinating few pages, and I think it leads us uh, to want more. You're going right to a sort of material reason, like actual already existing stuff. Okay, Dave, go for it. So I'm arguing, just so I'm clear, that they don't owe us an explanation, right? Yeah. Yeah. They don't owe us shit. Listen, (laughs) like, they don't have to tell us what's going on with every character where they're off screen. Like, we could barely find out what Jedzia Dax's sister's name is or anything like that. Like, there's a, like, these are on screen main characters and we can't even get details on, on them. Let alone this one, this guy who was on the screen for two uh, seconds uh, in an episode many, many years ago, and uh, canonically, like in the universe years, yeah, there's just there's there's too much of um, uh, a gap. He he's back in Star Trek. I'm sure, there's all right. If I'm done on my right. time, it's fine. Oh, that was uh, that was a zinger right off the bat there. Yeah, Dave's giving, coming up with the uppercuts tonight. Jeez. That's true. Verbal uppercuts. True. We love them on this show. Verbal uppercuts. All um, right, all right. Thirty seconds open debate. Right. Anything you have to say before we do it, there, Dave? No, I think I just want to hear you go at it. All right. Like, it's Kelsey Grammer, man. It's Kelsey Grammer, and you know, have we seen somebody have to acclimatize to the future other than like freaking Khan? Like we've never seen. Yeah, Michael Burnham. What? And the oh. crew of the Discovery. Yeah, and in the case Kelsey Grammer in the classic Trek style, not and in the case in the case of Michael Burnham, who she got when she arrived in the 32nd century, she was in the year 3189. Discovery didn't show up to 3190, yeah. and so there was a whole year where she, Michael Burnham and Book were were in the 32nd century alone, and they didn't even tell us what she did much for that year, right? So let alone what Kelsey Grammer's character Morgan Bateson is. I'm glad he was brought back in Lower Decks, but Come I don't to need a him. ship. Where everybody knows your name. Mm-hmm. He re- he was originally supposed to be on screen with uh, Savick from Star Trek Three, like Robin oh, Curtis. And it was supposed to be, or well, I guess no, it wasn't going to be Robin Curtis. It was going to be um, Kirstie Alley from these. That sounds years. fascinating. They almost should have showed us that. They because if you look in the episode, he's standing next. That woman that's next to him is supposed to be Kirstie Alley. But yeah, it looks like Savick for sure. But but it's not her, of course. So um, uh, the joke doesn't really make any sense. But Kelsey Grammer agreed to still do the part. That's a great cameo. Uh, yeah. Listen, I I love <laughs> uh, the punctuation of the retort that they don't know us shit. <laughs> um, they don't know us shit. I'm still giving the point to Davin for that little jab at the end there. That's like, oh, it almost argues for making that. Uh, just two <laughs> seconds. The dog is getting into something. I'll be. Yeah, no seconds. worries. You completed One's, your okay, job great. there for a second. Point to Davin. I'll be two seconds. All right. Yeah. At my point. I certainly uh, wouldn't complain if they gave us an explanation oh, of okay. exactly what his last 10 years would be, but I don't need it. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we need it. <laughs> I don't feel owed. I don't feel owed it. You don't want to see the 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 adventures of the Starship Cheers? I do want to see it, but I don't feel I'm owed it. (laughs) Well, that's a perfectly fair point. Yep. Well, technically, the question didn't have the word owed in it. 
Well, oh, okay. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I misheard it. It just argued for an exploration of what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All right. Next one. Cousin Dave's. Okay. So I'm doing my number one, right? Okay. All right. The be it resolved, Janeway was correct to split Tuvix into Tuvok or back into Tuvok and Neelix. A controversial Spicy. episode, Tuvix from Voyager. Controversial uh, question. Davin, you will be arguing that she should not have done this. And Dave, you will be arguing that she should have done this. That she so is Dave's correct. Ar- so Dave's, is arguing, correct. Dave's arguing for. Yes. Okay, right. you go first then, Dave. Okay. Hit it. It Punch was it. an awful hard decision to make. Uh, one that was not arrived at lightly, but uh, Captain Janeway, I think, finally understands that despite his charm and his fancy take on the uniform and his general uh, friendliness with the crew, having Tuvok and Neelix back in their respective roles at their full respective competencies was better for the ship all told. It was wrong at that point to have to redefine all the relationships uh, around that particular mishap. Okay. Rebuttal. Rebuttal. Here's the thing, though. Tuvix was better at both of their jobs than they were. He was a he was a better like what the morale officer than Neelix was because he was way less annoying and he had a deep wisdom that Tuvok had to add to that. Mm-hmm. And same in the reverse, like he had the experiences and the skills of Neelix to add to ops and like all the things he knows about the Delta Quadrant and that kind of stuff. And he probably had the time to do both jobs. How long does it take to cook and raise morale? You know what I'm saying? Okay, open debate. So wait, I think that requires two. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that requires two people. Uh, and that's you know part of the part of the question that a captain's got to answer is how many roles do I have to fill? How many bodies do I have to fill those roles? How many hours can I work? Those We're dancing around the most important thing here, Dave. Is she's chosen mm-hmm. to take a, the life of a sentient being. The lives of her crewmates were lost in an accident. There's nothing anyone could have done about that, and it's too late they could. to do anything about that. that. There's a new life they must change. It was reversible. It was a transporter accident. It was a mishap. Oh, this comes close. You guys are really. I feel like you've, you've made an equal number of good points. You're allowed to call for another uh, round of open debate. It's happened. Before. I, I I need something. I need something else to put this over the top because I. But I, 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 fifty I mean, seconds, like having to amputate a limb. This is painful, like having to. Uh, Except it's not because your limb isn't sentient. Your limb isn't a life. Tuvix is. I still think that the needs of the many overweigh the, the world or the few. All right, I'm going. This is a tough one, Sorry. man. I don't envy your your. Uh, Davin, I think you 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 won me over with your. Uh, it's, he was a sentient life. The, the lo- their lives were lost in a transport accident, but consequently brought back to life. But there was with, with life taketh and life giveth away. Uh, yeah, and, basically. Uh, yeah, it was close though. Dave, you did a great job. So the well, funny thing is, I've argued the opposite on our show when it wasn't even a debate. I'm pretty sure Janeway was right to do what she did, but I'm glad that I won that debate. 
Uh, well, it's a yeah, tough and, and Dave used my own argument against me. He's just like, in fact, it's just a transporter accident, which is what I argued on the show before. Uh, <laughs> when you're like, no one could bring them back. No one could do anything about that. Well, actually, they could do something Dave's about like, it. Dave's like, well, actually. <laughs> and then they did that thing. <laughs> okay. Ooh, Davin pulls out to an early lead. Here we go. A little bit of an early lead there. That's all right. I've done that a lot in Lost. Um, okay, this one won't mess with you guys as much as Billy. It's not as specific. So, well, let me just preamble a little bit. We just came up actually on Dave's show here this week. Okay. Because it was the episode Call to Arms of Deep Space Nine. And Cisco mm-hmm. exclaims that, well, a war in this case is actually preferable because we're sure losing the peace. And I thought that was odd because, well, we get into it, but I'll leave it to the debate and discuss my thoughts on it later, maybe. But anyway, uh, right. Be it resolved, right. The, the Federation should have been able to win the peace against the Dominion. Yeah, I got that quote here. Just may very well start a war. Maybe so. But one thing is certain, we're losing the peace, which means a war could be our only hope. Beautiful. All right. 30 seconds. Oh, wait, for and against. Dave Puxley, you are going to argue for this. Okay. All right. Federation should have been able to win the peace against the Dominion. Go. Right. The Federation's failure to win the peace in this case was, I think, narratively compelling in the show in that it shows their turn to a kind of realpolitik way of working in this tense place with the Cardassians and the Dominion. And it shows them falling away from the kinds of principles that allowed them to make more strategic economic uh, possibilities open up with people and could have actually hedged out using their science and their e- economics to uh, <coughs> to stabilize their position. Okay, very good. They should they could have should have had the resources and connections to do so. Essentially, is that kind of a, anyway? they should have stuck to who they were instead of trying to yeah okay yeah rebuttal uh well the rebuttal here is that the federation is uh doing the best they could but like they you could argue that they are able to keep the peace for partners and allies like Bajor in for one instance because uh Cisco does some interesting political maneuvering to get Bajor sort of neutral for the start of the war right by getting them to sign this non-aggression pact but on the other hand they're not gonna let this bloodthirsty evil empire uh with their genetically engineered soldiers and uh, and their 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 crooked diplomats the, the Vorta go around and uh, and take over the Alpha Quadrant no not on their watch no the Federation doesn't allow for that that was Vorta slander. <laughs> so are we okay right. to go in? Open uh, debate. 30 seconds. Open debate. Okay. Do it. Dave, you look like you're ready to go. It's important to make a distinction between what peacetime is and what open hostilities are, right? Uh, because there certainly were military operations ongoing between the Federation and the Dominion before war was officially announced. And I think part of what Cisco's arguing here is that 
the actual announcement of open hostilities allows the Federation to mobilize in ways that their own current rules, given that area of space, are not allowing them to do, uh, given that they're in a peacetime posture. Well, yeah, but I think that kind of makes my point is that like the, the, the Dominion just kept building up more and more of a military presence and saying, oh, well, the Cardassians are just jittery, you know, like, we, you know, they had a tough war with the Klingons and the Maquis were busting them up. So we have to build this up. And the Federation knows that this is bunk, that they are building up because they know what the true motivations of the Dominion are. Um, and and this is uh, because of this, like they can't ignore the threat. The threat is that the, the founders and the Dominion believe that all solids, all humanoid beings deserve to be controlled and subjugated under their godlike uh, regime. Okay, so, well, so, well, I want to jump in for a second, fellas. better peacemaking with the Cardassians right off the bat. See, I think I mean, what you guys are arguing, you guys are arguing their decisions, which is part of this question, but I think what I want you to just come in on here for one second is that the Federation should have been able to win the peace. Like, it's not the fact that they needed to to start a war or or not. That's, But I'm more interested in the fact that so what do you why mean were they losing the peace? Like, isn't that what the Federation is? Like, they're, they're the, the, the peace guys, and here they are losing the peace to a malevolent entity. Perhaps you guys right, but I, I like, think 15 seconds or 30 seconds on that. Uh, I guess that's what I'm saying about the distinction between um, like skirmishes or military operations and then open declarations of war, right? In that sense, losing the peace is... Uh, yeah. So you're suggesting that like the peace wasn't really the peace. It was just a different kind of... It was just skirmishes rather than open war. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. You don't send peacekeepers to a peace zone, right? You send peacekeepers to a conflict zone. Uh, I guess that's that's sort of my argument there. Right, and I'm arguing that the Federation couldn't keep the peace because the Dominion was just too uh, aggressive and they were threatening all of the major Alpha Quadrant powers. And how are they going to do that? Uh, you know, when it's it's it goes beyond just them. Sure, they could put sanctions against the Tholians or something like that to prevent them from signing a non-aggression pact. But the the fact of the matter is that like that the Federation, in their effort to keep the peace, has to actually uh, go to war, uh, and that's kind of what Cisco's point is. I hope I, I hope, I, I hope I'm giving almost... you what you need. Well, I mean, and on that point, you and I agree on on. Yeah, like, that's absolutely. what I think. That's what I thought too. I think I feel like you guys just agree. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure what what the debate, I guess, is. I guess we're debating the ability, the Federation's um, sort of whether they have the scope or the influence to keep the peace. Because if if they were, but they they yeah, aren't. Should they, they have been able to win the peace? Should they have been able to out? Diplomat. Oh, not not without compromising their morals. With, with other like, from Quantred people they're familiar with. Because you know? once the Cardassians jumped in bed with the Dominion, things got really complicated fast, right? And that, I mean, that I think I agree. That's the linchpin moment, and I think the the place where the Federation should have been able to win the peace is with the Cardassians. Um, yeah. And they weren't. And I think that's the, the, the key is kind of like the, the legacy, like the why that wasn't able to happen was because they had all this legacy from prior wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly fair point. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. God damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Dave, I think you were added into that last sentence. All right. Cousin Dave wins it with that last one. See, Dave had me with the where they should have been able to do it was with the Cardassians. And then Dave comes right in. But yeah, it's like, but that was the problem. They had all this history with the Cardassians. I never know if I'm doing well or bad because you're like, Dave said a good thing. And Dave made it this point. And I'm like, which Dave do you mean? Yeah, I know. All right. Cousin Dave gets this one too. But man, it was close. Thank you. Thank you. That is the that fun of these close. things, right? Coming, that one was brutal. That one almost needed another half an hour. That one would be one that would be great to bring back in a in a deeper dive. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's a, like, we need more than uh, a two minutes to really break that down. That's a, Dave yeah. Puxley's next one. Okay. Oh, I did forget to write down one of yours, didn't I? Okay. That's well, let's the do this one, one. And then pop the oh. other one. Yeah, I'll pop the other one up after. All right. Okay. So we got this one. Surprise. Packleds are the perfect antagonist for lower decks. Okay. Uh, so, arguing for... Who argued against last time? You argued against, Dave, didn't you? So you can argue yeah. for this. Davin, you argue against. Okay. 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 Uh, it doesn't matter who goes first. You go first. Four um, always goes first. Four always goes first, right? The Packlids, of course, are the most, like, the best uh, uh, villains and antagonists for the Lower Decks, because Lower Decks has this inherent silliness to it, this sort of, like, jokiness. And the and the Packlids are one of the funniest on-camera species ever depicted, really, because they, they were sort of um, devious and untrustworthy and things like that. But they're also just friggin' funny. It is broken. You know, like they just they have uh, they have like sort of like this um, uh, sinister innocence to them, with, you know, and and a greed that makes them sort of like just like oh, get these dopes out of here. They're they're you know, and there's, they're great for the punchline. Right on. Okay, okay, so you're saying that they line up with the comedic aspect really perfectly. Gotcha. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, well, here's my rebuttal. Okay. As a main antagonist, where's the threat? Yes, they're funny, but where's the threat from the Packlets? They're just not, they don't have the intelligence. They're not, the biggest threat they could ever have been, they did in Lower Decks, was with that, we get all the ship pieces. But like, <laughs> like there's, there's no ongoing threat there. I don't think we'll even see them come back as even a potential threat in this series. I think that was it because the you either done with the Packlets. I think that's it. I think that there's no more red alarms to be had. Red alarm. Red alarm. Red alarm. So you're yeah. it sounds like you're arguing that they're like a starter villain. Yeah. There's no threat there. Okay. Um, they're kind of like I. My rebuttal to that is that they they the threat is that they steal so much so many different technologies and but what we see Lord X is that they are a formidable presence because they they take all these different technologies and put them together almost like the Borg. You know, and that they have like sort of like this massive thing. And because Lower Decks is set on the Cerritos, a California class ship that's not it's not a capital ship. It's not the Titan. It's not the Enterprise, the Defiant. It's, you know, it's it's more of a utility cruiser. And uh, and, and when they're fighting like these sort of um, these antagonistic aliens who have some very powerful ships, they always run away. As soon as you shoot them once, they're like, oh, no, it's another Enterprise. And they run away. Yeah. Hey, those miners are stealing our snacks. <laughs> the Enterprise has the biggest bathroom ever. 
Yeah, uh, and we tricked we you. We tricked you, Janeway. We never wanted peace. Rumdar was a spy. <laughs> what did you learn, spy? The Enterprise has the biggest bathrooms ever. We tricked you, Janeway. That's my favorite. We tricked you, Janeway. Every woman captain's a Janeway, and every starship's an Enterprise. And it just works so well. Like, <laughs> yeah. to, um, you know. yeah. We have you now, Enterprise. They're just All so right. funny. Like, Decisions are, I mean, must be I, made. You make a lovely point, Dave, that they are pretty gloriously stupid. Um, right. Yeah. But not innocent. Like, no. Truly. No, no. I mean, uh, no, not innocent. Their capacity to, to like, do their own Proxus event to their own home planet all by themselves because they think it's a clever <laughs> thing. Uh, in Big Strong City. In big strong city. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's it's wonderful. Um, oh man, I uh, I do I do get your point about them being kind of like a a, a a starter villain, and maybe there's larger things on the horizon. But I think Dave's going to get the point on this one. Thank you. Up to a big lead here. Oh, well, big late on me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we've got some work to do. That's a clap for the attendant. Uh, uh, okay. All right, next one from Cousin Dave here. Okay, be it resolved, strange new world and discoveries retconning of the Star Trek universe's 23rd century, disrespectful to the canon of the original series, most notably the finale of Star Trek uh, Strange New World's um, first season did almost a remake of the episode um, The Balance of Terror. Uh, which you know, show oh, you just you ignited know. some fire for this debate by bringing that up. I'll tell you that, yeah. So, Dave, you're gonna be arguing for. Uh, that this was disrespectful, and okay. yeah, and you're going to be arguing that this is not. Okay, so, Dave, right. up first, particularly in that instance, or can I pick from anything? Oh, everything. He was just anything, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just. I, that's my. You know, from from hollow displays to glossy decks to no pastel lighting to. Um, Klingon ships that are made out of apparently sarcophagi and weird things like this. I find there is a certain cavalier quality relative to what's been established in Star Trek that these guys are practicing almost in a deliberate fashion. Uh, and I find that problematic. David? Here's the thing. I'm glad you brought that episode up because that episode was not disrespectful to Balance of Terror. Locutor Dave and I both love the Balance of Terror. And that episode only added to that idea where it's just like was was it all because of Kirk that it worked out that way, you know? Pike makes entirely different decisions than Kirk and like it just shows the differences between Kirk and Pike, but also how that affects the Romulan as well. It, I thought it was beautiful and it didn't disrespect anything. Dave, open debate. I I guess really what I would argue is that there's just there's too much of the gritty reboot happening. You know? Uh the, the sort of exhaustion of franchises in this kind of a marketing environment means there's this kind of 
bristly take on things that uh, is very shiny and slick, but ultimately risks soullessness. But new you Spock know? is so great. Those <laughs> <laughs> ears there. Oh my goodness. Look, I'm arming us with knowledge. Uh, is, is, are all points made? Our oh, time's up. Unless you need more. Yeah. No, no, it's just, it's just Dave wins. The gritty, too all much right. gritty reboot. Too much gritty reboots. Yeah, well, right. Davin, you you just didn't give me enough. I didn't say much. I know. You, you you're just like I don't share that opinion, and that's mine. So Basically. <laughs> Because <laughs> I agree with the other one. Different, different. Kind of. Well, not really. I'm somewhere in the middle. Like, I love that Balance of Terror remake, but, you know, I agree there's too much great rebooting. Like, they just desperate for Picard to be an action hero. They did that with the movies. They did that with Picard. You know, whatever. Anyway, I, I ramble and dig myself a deeper hole. Um, so, back to me. Be it resolved, the Doctor is just a program and not a life form. Cousin Dave, you will be arguing for this. Dave Puxley against. Your 30 okay. seconds begins now. Well, we 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 we've met lots of different holodeck characters that seem real, that seem to have all these different attributes, but it's just a simulacra. It's not real, and I think that you know you have to look at what makes somebody sentient or what makes a being sentient. And I uh, specifically, I think that's what we would have to do to give a hologram a status as a life form, um, because, of course, there's no biologicals involved. Not that that's the only uh, main point, but the fact that, um, you know, self-aware, intelligent and has a conscious, you know, consciousness. Uh, and does the doctor have consciousness when he's turned off? No. Right. All right. 30 seconds. I'm, I'm glad you brought up consciousness because... I also, when turned off, don't experience it if I'm anesthetized, for instance, right? Um, I'm not sure that's a sufficient argument against sentience. The place I would look to, actually, is somewhere you already mentioned, which is a sense of selfhood. Heinz Kohut, the great uh, founder of self-psychology, argues that while we can see the behaviors and appearances of a self, we can never for certain... Uh, even with ourselves, but maybe most closely with ourselves, certain that there is some consistent substance of a being under there, right? So I think what we'd actually have to do, just like we do with other Open cultures, to is see, pass the kind of Turing test of self. I think we, we need to look back at the two-part episode of Voyager Equinox in particular, okay. where the Doctor has his um, moral subroutines disabled, by the crew mm -hmm. of the Equinox, that he'll perform horrific experiments, um, uh, most notably on a set of nine. And I, I don't think that, um, th I think that that's kind of a, a cle clear indicator to me that the Doctor is effectively software. And therefore, if, if um, and not only, you know, does he uh, carry out these orders, but he always does it with like this evil glee that just doesn't seem to add up, you know? This is like, much it, like when Data gets the emotion ship shoved into it, right? 
Uh, I think yes, I think but there, it, I think it, it may point more to a characteristic problem of the hackability of an electronic or a positronic life form. Uh, well, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point. But I think when data's emotion chip, it was like you have all these new emotions and you have to process them. And there was a degree of manipulation there that was clear. In the case of the doctor, it was like this guy can be kind of anything. You know, uh, you just have to change one little thing in the code, and it's it's a completely different person. And it's not, because it's not a person. Okay, I have made my decision. Um, I'm giving it to. Dave Puxley, and I'll tell you why. Because I saw a bit of a flaw. I mean, Dave Puxley didn't necessarily point it out, but I saw a, fly in your, a flaw in your logic there, Cousin Dave, and what you're saying is because someone can manipulate the doctor to be somebody different. I mean, isn't that what brainwashing is? But he and wasn't brainwashed. Biological. He was just... Wasn't he? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. In that example... Uh, no, I, think, I think Dave brings up an interesting twist on, like, it, it is, it's a development on the problem we saw with data and the emotion chip. You know, if there's no physical substrate other than, because, uh, right, the doctor's memories in that sense are somewhere in the computer core, one assumes. Well, right? yeah, like when the... Unless it's in his little finger. Or something, right? Like maybe that uh, yeah, like either or. But the, the doctor has effectively like an active memory, and like the doctor knew who he was. He had all his, his things. All it all it took off was the more the moral um, the things that wouldn't allow him to do things that were immoral. Mm -hmm. But he, but it didn't mean that he had to be happy about them either, and he was. No, no. And I think you know that's that's a that's a weird piece. That's a weird piece of that episode. I mean, I guess if I were going to argue against it, I would have argued like about lobotomization. Yeah, no, uh, the, no. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think it's a. Uh, that episode has always kind of stuck out to me because I had way more sympathy for Data in that situation with Lore than I did for the Doctor. I, I, I still had sympathy towards the Doctor's character, but, but yeah, he was, was more. Just, he was way but more. No, but you feel that. for the Doctor after the fact when he comes back and he realizes what he's done. He's that like, he can be turned oh. into a monster so easily. Basically, yeah. but he feels remorse yeah. about that, you know, and a lot of it. Interesting, like that's that's an insight that would be felt for him in a way that. David and his counter, remember his counterpart from the Equinox, it, you know, was like, not only am I happy to perform these experiments, but I'll attack the crew of of the of Voyager on behalf of Equinox, and then do all these other things. And so I feel like uh, the Doctor in that situation, it's not that he just didn't have morality; it it, it literally turned him evil. Mm. inexplicably like you know and i was just like this is so i don't think that a life form i i, I just think you could be brainwashed but like yeah it's just flipping it, a switch like that i see what you mean it's so yeah. it's so it's so extreme mm -hmm. just about done writing up uh dave puxley's next one here you can uh Chapter two. <laughs> oh here we go oh we got her all right all right all right Maybe we can also listen to this in the meantime and sing a song. Oh, oh is that a... You honor the prophets. You honor the prophets with that pitch, Bradward. What a pitch. What a pitch. I just had to say that. It's beautiful. Uh, what a beautiful pitch. All right. We're next. All right. So the insistence upon the use of money on Earth among humans in Picard 
indicates a fundamental departure from Roddenberry's original post-scarcity socialist vision. Now, are we talking about back in the past, when they go back in the past? No, no, in the present. Oh, were they using up money in, on Earth in the yeah, present? Things like very expensive. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember an example of them citing money. In, like, you're talking in the 25th century specifically, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were using money. Because yeah, Picard can pay for Rios' services. And Rafi was bitter at him living up in his chateau. Oh, yeah, and she's yeah. all poor and everything. Oh, but she lives yeah. at Vasquez Rocks, which seems like a cool place to live. <laughs> oh, she's still got they film place. everything at Vasquez Rocks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, for and who's against on this one? Uh, so, uh, David, I'm going to have you argue for this. And Cousin okay. Dave, I'll have you argue against. All right. In fact, it is a departure. We've discussed this at length on our, our economics episode, that it, the post-scarcity economy is kind of what makes Star Trek Star Trek, at least in the economic sense, because they have no wants. They have everything they need due to replicators, you know, other planets they trade with, tons of reasons. Um, Raffi's destitute by choice, and she's a drug addict alcoholic. So, you know, that's why she's living at Vasquez Rocks. It's nothing to do with money, but I mean, well, no, I just argued against myself there, didn't I? <laughs> we'll get back to that point in a second. But yes, it's a departure. Well, I, I thought shoot myself for the end of that. I might have just screwed myself. There. Anyway, I'm not so sure any of it is a departure per se, because I feel like there is definitely some uh, gray and unexplained things about the aspects that you're citing there, in particular. Uh, I think that there is, like, it, it's true that it's post scarcity. So, but like, there are some things that are in uh, limited demand, like land on Earth. There's only so many properties on Earth. Chateau Picard doesn't belong to everybody on earth. It belongs to the Picard family. So there definitely is some kind of economics for somebody like Rios, who's working as an independent trader at that point on the um, La Serena. uh, Yeah. Like he, like sort of the Federation doesn't really use currency based economics, but the rest of the galaxy does. And so therefore, you know, if you want, if you want to leave the Federation, you need to have some money. Okay. So you're saying this is like an example more of, the hybridization that would be happening in the Federation all the time, the interaction of a currency less species with species that use currency. Yes, we, we see plenty of humans who are driven by the profit model, like Vash and others who are sure. human and don't and shoot, but choose to pursue a more um, commerce based, you know, lifestyle. I suppose you know, despite not needing to. Open That's debate. Crazy. Yeah, go for it. But here's the thing. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. We don't work to... Yes, you have ownership. But again, a lot of that is just generational, being handed down and that type of thing. Like, I don't think you need money to buy a property on Earth if there was any. So, like, yes, there's scarcity. But this is... We're talking about the, like, like dealing in money for, like, everyday things. Like, if Raffi wanted to live somewhere better, she... She she should be able to in this post scarcity. That's what. Well, she can, Ron but it Barry might not won. be that's Earth. Makes, that's what makes Earth different. Is that post scarcity? Like, yes, you go out in the galaxy and you have to use latinum to deal with the Ferengi and stuff. But when you're back on Earth, 
There's, there's not supposed to be any of that. It's the we're working to better ourselves. And I don't think that there is. I think I, I don't think that there is a contradiction here. You know, I feel like, uh, yeah, like in Rios's case, I think that's just because he's working in space. And I think that that's sort of a necessity of being uh, independent. Like even Cassidy Yates had collects uh, tolls and, and profits from like running cargo for the Bajorans and things like that. Um, and so there, there definitely there definitely is are some economics. We know that the Bank of Bolius exists as well. And that's a, uh, the Bolians are a member of the Federation. Bolius um, is not on Earth. No, it's not on Earth, but um, I. But in turn, but we don't really see like any specific like coins or money or anything like that. So I don't think there has been any departure or contradiction to the Roddenberry vision at all. Hmm. Hmm. We work to better oh, ourselves and the rest of humanity. I'm human. I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> then why do you need hey, mine? Watch it. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with our philosophy. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. It right, means Jake. we don't need money. <laughs> it means we don't need money. All right. Um, dang, yo. I'm going to have to give Dave the point on this one. Those were excellent arguments on both sides, but Yeah, I think he I had me. Like you made some excellent Dave, you're on fire tonight. tonight. You, have won. That? you have won debate night. That is true. Is it- is it over? Well, we're still going to do the last one for fun, but you've won. Okay. Oh, That's good. Yeah. Yay me. Yay you. Yay Glory you. to my house, which is also Davin's house, but it's all good. <laughs> no glory to my house. <laughs> you can join our house. You can be like Worf. You can, you can join House Skullhorn Savoy. Uh, <laughs> and I was looking forward to debating this one, so fire it up. We're, we're battling for second place. Oh, so this here, is this is the nothing. one. So I'm the I'm the the judge on this one. Right. Yep, this is for second place. Oh man. Okay. Okay. So um, the, my 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 point here. This was originally what they had planned to do in the episode Second Chances. Um, That's crazy. That's crazy. And they they ultimately backed out of it. But you know, be it resolved, it would have been more interesting if the next generation had killed off William Riker and had replaced him in season six with Thomas Riker, who then Data would have become the first officer. Apparently that was, was the plan. And Riker would have become, Thomas Riker would have become the new ops officer instead. Uh, Dave, you will be arguing for this. Davin, you're against. Go for it. Oh, I have two words about this topic. Oh, yeah. This would have been an incredible shakeup. Uh, Riker would have been able to go over the top of that ops chair many a time. (laughs) He would have been leaping to the defense from that moment. We would have seen lots of his piloting skills at work. He could have been uh, in different roles on away missions. They could have done some great stuff with the dynamic between him and Deanna Troy. There could have been, oh, man. It would have been like he had have to take orders from Worf sometimes. Maybe. So mm-hmm. good. Davin? The problem with what you're saying here is you're just replacing a character that has a rich background and like a lot of storyline already developed with the, the, the cast. And you're just taking that character and replacing him with one that's exactly the same but doesn't have all that depth that we've built over five seasons. So it's like, I think of like the Picard series. My favorite thing about it is the Nepenthe. Was it called Nepenthe? Anyway, where he meets uh, Deanna and Riker and he just comes in and hugs him. That freaking made me cry, man. 
But that wouldn't have been like that with Tom Riker. Tom Riker doesn't would you care. Like, see how uh, he would have reunited with Troy after all of that happened through season seven. I think it would have been amazing. It would have been a very, very, very different show. Let's be, I don't think we can agree on that point entirely, but I think the, um, the, the problem around Will Riker was the same thing that's in Best of Both Worlds, right? Why is he still on the Enterprise? Because why he's, is he not a, on, why is he not he's such a character, and that's why. Like, like oh, imagine in Lower Decks, just like on Warp, one, two, three, four, five. Like, you wouldn't have got that from Tom Riker. Riker William Riker has, like, humor about Tom Riker, and, like, Tom, Tom Riker's kind of a, a dour sort, I would say. Okay, and on this, oh, what about the plan to make Data the new first officer? Why would that um, be? Well, I think. Thing? I mean, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, it's. I'm not there for it. I'm not there for it. We we. He's too much of a. Like you know what you're going to get from Data. There's not a lot of surprise there, and he's not. He's too much like Picard, whereas. The, the dynamic between Picard and William Riker, they're very, they're such different people. Like Picard wouldn't still be on the Enterprise. He would have his own ship. And so would Data, quite frankly. Um, I just think he's, he's, he's different than the other characters, and that's what made him important. And Dave? Hmm. Uh, I think it would have been a fascinating relationship to see Picard and Data working in that way. The moments where we do see them working closely together there's a very deep appreciation that they have for each other. And that's one of the things they do reflect, again, to come back to sort of mirror a point Adam made earlier, in the Picard series, you know, um, the, the depth of that very special relationship that Picard and Data share. It would have been really interesting to see that um, unfold into more of like a mentoring relationship as he's training him to be the first android captain, right? Hmm. Even if that never turns out, but yeah. Right. I don't know. Uh, I got, I got one more thing to say. Okay. Snap. <laughs> that was that was. That was what you had to say. Where's my Beatles stuff? Yeah. I didn't put you over the edge. Uh, Dave, get the point. What? Oh, I thought I had it with the Beatles snuff. <laughs> it was close. Not good for the Beatles. Ah. Again, you guys, you guys are uh, very uh, neck and neck on these. Uh, you make excellent points. But Dave got we you. Do. He had one more. He had one more point than you. The problem with me and Dave is we discuss a lot of Star Trek together in that like thematic show, so we pretty much know what the, each person is going to argue. But right, it's fairly yeah. likely. Yeah, yeah. It makes for good debates. I it's very, it's very well, balanced for sure. The Daves comported themselves well on this edition, on this War of the Words. Cousin Dave becomes a champion here on Debate Nine, yes, joining we'll be his brother this next. I was banned um, from the trivia, and then now I'll be yeah, banned from this. No, no, you've got uh, lots of debates ahead of you. We're going to put you up against your brother next time, maybe. Oh, oh, I'll take that. That's over already. It's, it's over, over when it starts. Already. You're talking about previous champion Jeff Mater. Yeah, he was dealing with me. So. Champion, he, he beat me. <laughs> but you did. Um, 
<laughs> okay, well, I know Cousin Dave's going to go here right at 9 or 8 his time, he says. Yeah, I got big, I got but, the uh, Big Brother podcast coming up tonight. Check it out on Super Mater Brothers Podcast. What do you want to say about uh, Live Long Podcast or Super Mater Brothers before you go? Uh, we'll check out tomorrow. We're covering Lower Decks. Uh, it'll be Davin and Murphy and I talking about Episode 3 of uh, of Lower Decks. Thank you, too, for filling in last week on, uh, on Episode 2. Uh, no, not me for me to be too presumptuous but you should join us for that as well tomorrow though, Dave. yeah well dave if you want to join us for that we got to know we got a chair open if you're if you're free so yeah feel free um and uh yeah we'll be having uh um that that discussion tomorrow i think we're talking at 7 p.m eastern so at the eight uh maritime atlantic okay. uh so uh yeah we're, we're talking that mining the minds minds uh, also, every Monday night, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast with Jody Simpson and Adam Woodward and Kevin Millard and myself. Uh, we're up to season two. We're in the middle now. We just talked about the episode Stigma. Uh, Deep Space great, Nine, by the way, ten out of ten from me. Yeah, we all liked that episode. That turned out to be a good one. Uh, Enterprise uh, has its ups and downs for sure. And then Deep Space Nine, uh, which was a series that started slow, but oh my god, is it ever going now? And uh, we just. We just talked about the episode uh, in the uh, Called Arms last night, the season five finale. So now we're finally getting to season six of our rewatch. Uh, we knew it was going to take us uh, three and a half years, roughly, to watch the whole show. And we're, we only got a year left in the Deep Space Nine rewatch. Plus, Star Trek Radio Theater next Saturday um, on September Ooh. 17th. We're going to be recording the episode um, from um, uh, original series. It's called The Way to Eden. Uh, it's uh, also known as the Space Hippies episode. Head now to and Davin's gonna be playing that character, uh, Adam, as he, uh, the, the the lead singer of the hippies. I'll loosen uh, up the golden the golden vocal cords. Yeah, Dave one. will be joining us as well as playing uh, girl number one and girl number two. And if I have uh, my druthers, I'll just be pretending to play that instrument, and Dave will actually be doing it on my behalf. <laughs> You're right. Because that's Whatever how we guys... do things on Plain Simple Tailors. Okay, that's how you do it. you're in a band uh, in real life and in that, in that <laughs> radio theater. So exactly, so that's gonna be good. I'll be playing one of the other hippies, um, uh, oh. Tongo Rad. I'll be I'll be one of those guys. Uh, I'll, I'll, so I'll be on the bongos, I guess. Oh, very good. Um, yeah. Do so you have bongos? No. But I can then I'll be playing the bongos while he plays uh, my instrument. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but in the see? yeah. It's theater of the mind, you know. Uh, so that, that's where we do a script read. Uh, that will be on that. I'll get the poster. Uh, so that's all live long and podcast things. Super Mater Brothers right now covering Big Brother 24. Uh, we'll be on tonight uh, and tomorrow night for the uh, different episodes that are airing. And uh, and Trivial Debates coming up on, 17, on the 18th of September uh, yep. with Davin hosting as well. All music edition. So lots going on in the podcast world. Yeah, yeah, and also you can check out my other podcast, X-Rated, the X-Men Animated Review Show. We're into Season 3, Episode 10, this coming Tuesday, which is the episode Long Shot. Someone has luck powers. Not very cinematic, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and then we have Graphic Histories Podcast. My co-host Andre does that. He's on a break right now, but he's got a lot of a long back catalog you should check out. He interviews people in the comics world and, you know, the geek world in general. Really good interviews. Get some interesting stuff there. Uh, I think that's it, fellas. I think we've done it by Gar. Excellent. Well, All right, Dave, congratulations. You've won honor for our house. Oh, good. That was my intent here. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, when you shine, I shine too. 
Okay. Yes, exactly. We all win, and and Dave and I are namesakes. So I won it for all the Daves as well, Dave. So. You know what? I'm glad you won. It really worked out best for all of us. <laughs> yeah, we all won in in a way. That's yeah, right. exactly. All right, everybody. Well, there's there's only one way we ever end a show. So, end transmission. End transmission.